The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. The difference between a sales forecast and actual sales revenue is staying in business. You know, a forecast is a bunch of people talking optimistically about probabilities. It's not reliable. Let me tell you, a forecast has an over and an under, and I've never sent the over to my management. If you send the under, you may be a hero. If you send the over, you may be in really big trouble because in a business, the actual sales are converted into revenue, and it's revenue that keeps a business in business, not a forecast. It isn't any different in politics. Preferences, feelings shared with pesky pollsters calling at the dinner hour may or may not turn into votes on election day that determine the viability of a candidacy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems, I don't make them. And Super Tuesday turned out to be super for Joe Biden, but not for anyone else in the remaining Democratic field. And that was a surprise. Three things changed the trajectory of the Democratic nomination fight in the week between the Nevada caucuses that gave Bernie Sanders his first legitimate, air quotes, win, in a majority non-white state, and the South Carolina primary gave Joe Biden an absolute majority in that primary. First and most importantly, after Joe Biden's much improved debate performance on the Tuesday following the Nevada caucuses, when many were giving him up for dead, Jim Clyburn endorsed him, endorsed Biden. Joe Biden has always been a popular politician with a variety of Democrats. You may want to call them establishment or moderate or conservative or traditional. You pick your term. But Joe Biden's always been a popular guy with them. He's practical. He's ordinary. He's approachable. He sometimes wears his heart on his sleeve. And he has fought for an honest deal for the American middle class for half a century. He's a great proponent for labor unions. He's a normal politician who would run the country in a normal way. But there was a lot of hand-wringing about Joe Biden. He's lost a step. He's not bold enough. He's not progressive enough, whatever progressive means to you. You know, Teddy Roosevelt was the progressive of his day, and he was a Republican with a capital R. 
Well, Joe's damaged by the GOP obsession with the Burisma scandal, or as I like to call it, l'affaire Ukraine. All of that led to a question about Biden over the months. Can he beat Trump? Well, with his endorsement, Jim Clyburn, the most powerful politician in South Carolina, gave South Carolinians permission to vote their heart and not their head. With South Carolina in the bag, so to speak, hmm, all of a sudden it became theoretically possible that Biden's southern wall would hold, that he would get the majority of Democrats out of Dixie. And then after that South Carolina victory, I mean, it was a majority of South Carolinians, not a plurality, a majority voted for Biden. And so then came a little nudge behind the scenes from you-know-who to the rest of the moderates in the race. And he gave them an opportunity to salvage their reputations for another run at the presidency in 2024 or after that, for a career-making job if there is a, a Biden administration, to stop Bernie Sanders' momentum before it broke the Democratic Party in two in the same way that Trump has broken the Republican Party into two. Mm, and then, you know, those endorsements, you kind of gave you-know-who, well, you did him a solid. And he's a guy who remembers people who do him a solid. That subtle but not too subtle nudge gave Democrats across Super Tuesday states permission to vote their hearts rather than their calculations. Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg is an interesting guy and, would have, and, and is a technocrat capable of governing this country. But the fact is, he's really a moderate Republican. But a lot of black Democrats were prepared to vote for him if that would, would in fact stop Bernie and save the Democratic Party. If that's what it took to beat Trump. Now, after Jim Clyburn's endorsement, after South Carolina, after Buttigieg's endorsement, after Amy Klobuchar's warm embrace, now they had permission to vote their hearts. They could vote for Uncle Joe. And Beto? Well, Beto was the state of Texas on Monday night, a performance for the ages. And probably the resurrection of his own political career in Texas, if not beyond. You know, polling places had been open all weekend all over California and what you saw on the television news was that workers were complaining that there were no people coming to vote. When I walked to the ballot drop-off on Monday afternoon, there was a line forming to drop off ballots. Clearly, a lot of people waited to cast their mail-in ballots until after they saw South Carolina and the South Carolina aftermath. It may turn out that the high early vote for Bloomberg 
that would have gone to Biden on the same day might have given Biden enough votes to actually win California over Bernie's 33% of the vote now that we've we've counted half the vote. You know, in California, it takes a week to count the vote. That's because we have very liberal laws out here <clears throat> about same-day registration and so forth, but I digress. Second, there's too much attention paid on national polls and not enough attention paid to state and regional polls. Those smaller polls more closely reflect the concerns of particular groups of voters. National polls done by national media organizations tend to skew too much to the large metropolitan areas on either coast and their sample sizes are small. The composition of the electorate continues to change. Prior models may not be accurate. For example, independents could vote in the Democratic primary in California this year, but not in the Republican primary. And that was not true four years ago. You had to be a registered Democrat or a registered Republican in order to vote in one of those primaries. So the model, because the largest party in California is declined to state, the models that were being used here were inaccurate. And those national models, as you see the registration of Democrats and Republicans shrink, if you've looked at the most recent Pew numbers, uh, a full 40% of the electorate, uh, one and a half times either Democrats or Republicans who claim about 28% each of the electorate um, are the biggest party. Now, are you reflecting that when you put a model together? Because independents tend to be moderate middle people, whether they tend progressive or tend conservative. They tend, but they're moderate in their views. And I don't think they've been properly modeled in these national samples. But again, I digress because what is really important about the difference between polling and voting is that voters have rather limited attention spans until they get to the actual election. They tell pollsters what they think the pollster wants to hear in order to get off the phone. It may not necessarily be what they think. And the way questions are phrased has an impact on the on the accuracy and the mo and whether or not the modeling of that small sample over a larger population of voters is accurate. So always take a poll with a grain of thought, a, a grain of salt. A poll isn't your vote. Your vote is what matters. Third. I think the media outlets should stop projecting winners based on 1% of the vote being tallied and their exit polls. And they should stop projecting winners two minutes after the polls close state by state. Like any poll, exit polls are a forecast, not an actual outcome of the voting. 
in Texas and California, East Coast media started to call those state races while the voters in those states were still in line to vote. We will never know how many voters were discouraged as a result from sticking it out and casting a ballot. And in a close election, well, that may be the difference between winning and losing. There must be a better way to balance the natural desire of voters to know the outcome in their own time zones as quickly as is reasonably possible. With the and you have to balance that, however, with the potential negative impact that it may that that information may have on voters who are in earlier time zones. I know that my vote for Ross Perot was determined by the fact that the states were being called for, or the election was being called for Clinton before I got home from the airport and went to vote. So that was a protest vote on my part, and I think it's been so many years I confess up to that. Voters in this particular, particular election, and often in elections, wait to make up their minds until they have all the facts. And the media should do the same. And the third thing that happened th this week is big mo, momentum. Momentum begets momentum. Joe Biden, again, didn't just get a plurality of the votes in South Carolina on Saturday. He won a majority. He won 56% of the vote. So he gave a rousing acceptance speech because it was a rousing, it was a real victory. It wasn't a statistical victory. And it makes me crazy when the pundits say, Bernie Sanders declared the winner of New Hampshire with barely more than 25% of the vote in a field of seven candidates. Losing 75% of voters is not the way to win an election. It does not, as we've now seen, create momentum. And now the Democrats have a new front runner. President Trump has an old foil back again. And we will see where Big Mo is after next Tuesday, Super Tuesday. It's a second Super Tuesday. But in the meantime, we all ought to ignore the, the polls. Maybe we want to kind of look out for some of those nudging little endorsements that we may see coming along because they seem to be making a difference in this election, contrary to the conventional wisdom. And maybe it's time, folks, for all of us to focus on the issues, on a country that is suffering from a severe degree of disunity a country that needs healing. And it needs healing around fixing some of those issues. Healthcare, now more than just about insurance, but about life saving lives in an epidemic. About national security, about defining it and being sure we have it. About a 21st century economy that does create more equality, about educational reform, and about reining in the national debt, not adding to it. 
So it's about two things. It's about momentum and it's about focus on the issues. And we'll see after next Tuesday which one is in control. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.